We are joined now from a beautiful little town in the heart of Ontario's cottage country. Uh, former mayor of the city on Lake of Bays, Huntsville, Ontario, is uh, the, the scene where we find Scott Aitchison this morning. Mr. Aitchison is a conservative leadership hopeful. He is the member of parliament for Parry Sound Muskoka in Ontario. And he's here to talk to us this morning about a number of things, including, of course, the conservative leadership race and Canada's relationship with China. Scott Aitchison, good morning, sir. Welcome to our program. Sterling, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you along, and I know you're headed west in a week or so, Scott. So we'll, you're kind of we're giving you a bit of a sneak preview of the Aitchison uh, Hit the West Coast tour, which uh, shows up here in a week or so. I want to talk to you, Scott, about China first of all. We'll get into all the the local domestic stuff in a minute, but this is a subject that we've spent a great deal of time on this program over the years, Scott. The pervasive influence of Beijing in the world of politics, and we found out for example, from your party alone, that uh, up to eight Canadian ridings were very deliberately targeted by Beijing in the last Canadian federal election. The idea at the time, as you see it, and Mr. O'Toole, uh, the former leader of the party, also saw it the same way, the Conservative Party uh, uh, was a, a target of Beijing and the Communist Party of China. Uh, talk to us a little bit more about what they did, Scott, what you found out has happened. Well, I, there's no question that you know, China's espionage activity uh, has affected not just, you know, our politics, but it's, uh, it's affecting Chinese Canadians as well. This is, uh, this is a threat that we can't ignore. Uh, and it means that uh, we have to be, you know, working closely with our allies like Japan and South Korea, the United States and Australia and other partners and coordinate our efforts to defend not just our interests, but, you know, the global security and prosperity as well. And one of the things that you recommend, Scott, by way of doing precisely that and sending a rather stern message in the process is for the government of Canada to formally recognize Taiwan. How doable really is that? Well, I think it's it's completely doable. The one China policy has been a failure. We should be honest about that. It's time that Canada does recognize that Taiwan is an independent sovereign country and established for relations with Taiwan. You know, this is a thriving, prosperous democracy. It's a force for good in the world. And Canada can't just stand up for, we can't just talk about freedom and democracy here at home. We have to stand up for it around the world. Right. Taiwan is, Taiwan is ready for this. Uh, and I think that uh, Canada can be a leader of, of all Western nations in recognizing Taiwan's independence. Uh, and I think a lot of other nations will follow suit. Interesting, because one of the most, uh, I think, in terms of Western nations, most up against it in terms of dealing on a daily basis with relentless pressure from China is Australia. And they've adopted a much more aggressive posture towards China than Canada has. We could learn more than a few lessons from their playbook. The question, though, is, is Australia as ready as you are to recognize Taiwan? Oh, I think they are. And I think that uh, Australia uh, is another example of a, of a leader, particularly on this file. Uh, and Canada should be a reliable partner with Australia and stand up with Australia, stand up, you know, with the countries, not just Australia, but there are other countries that are that are obviously, you know, standing up uh, to the to the to the bully Chinese communist regime. And that's Taiwan. We need to be a reliable, re reliable international partner. Uh, and not just let countries like 
Australia do it alone. Yeah, and, and I, I suppose, again, and I have no, I'm, I'm quite sympathetic to the position you're taking here, Mr. Aitchison. However, uh, it's not without risk, is it, Scott? Because if we decide, okay, we're going to recognize Taiwan, and Beijing really, really will become extremely upset in one single heartbeat and lower the boom. And that could be more uh, boycotts of canola and other Canadian agricultural exports, which our farming community relies on heavily. So talk about the risk involved. I, I don't dispute that uh, it, it can't be done, but there is a fairly high degree of risk involved, isn't there? Well, there, there is. And, you know, China is a threat to the liberal international order. You know, unless Canada and countries that share our values come together and stand up against the Communist Party's increasing aggression and human rights abuses, our, our security and prosperity is under greater threat. It's why we need to act boldly, and it's why we can't be naive. We can't be naive about what, what countries will do. Just look at Hong Kong and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. What some countries are willing to do when no one stands up to the bully. And so, you know, this is, this is an important stand for Canada to take, and I think all Western nations will work together with us. We have to work together. Uh, and frankly, with all Western nations and, and democracies working together and taking principled stands together, uh, there's, you know, China can't boycott food from all countries. They need us. And so I, I think that that's why it's important for us to work together and build the relationships Canada needs to build in the, in the, in the international order to make sure that we have, we have uh, allies and partners that trust us, that we will actually do what we say we'll do, and that we're good, good to our word. We haven't seen that in the last seven years. Canada has not been a reliable partner with our allies, and we need to do better. Okay, let me just follow up on that sentiment, Scott, if you don't mind, by switching to Ukraine since you've opened that door for me, sir. We are uh, in a situation where our European NATO allies are at the mercy of Mr. Putin and his uh, oil, and uh, we and other gas products that are fine in June and July, but when we come around to January, the story is going to be very different, and the circumstances are going to be much more different dire. Canada is in a position to help our allies uh, with LNG and other petro products that the current government is, str- is, is just opposed to. The notion of, for example, an LNG pipeline from Alberta to the East Coast in order to, to supply Europe with L- much needed LNG is, is just, it's, uh, it's heresy to the, to the Trudeau government. Uh, are you, uh, uh, w- as Conservative Party leader, would you be more uh, inclined to look at some form of pipeline mandate to do the role that you talked about in terms of Canada stepping up when we're needed? I can be I can be more unequivocal than that. I'm one thousand percent in favor of of doing just that. I, I would never ever let uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, image and ideology get in the way of good policy that's good not just for Canadians but good for the whole world and good for the security of the whole world. Canada is one of the richest nations in the history of the world because of the resources that we have in the ground and on the ground and then the oceans. And we need to stop being ashamed of being a resource superpower uh, and make sure that the world has access to our sustainably, ethically produced energy. This is, this is a classic example where, 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 where the continuing threat of all of Eastern Europe you know, could be solved. Could be solved. This energy security issue could be solved if we hadn't had a liberal government dithering 
and playing games on Canadian energy for the last seven years. Well, it is kind of embarrassing when you see the, the you know what the, the conversations are behind closed doors. Look, we really need you people to come through for us now. Otherwise, Putin's got us stretched out on the rack and can do whatever the heck he wants. Come on, Canada. And you know, we're just not coming on, are we? No, listen, this is, this is probably one of the most glaring examples of the embarrassment that Justin Trudeau is on the world stage. The, 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 one of the one of the key areas where Canada could be actually a reliable, you know, partner and solve help solve the problem. I mean, we we we've never lived up to our two percent commitment on the, of GDP spending uh, on NATO, and and of course we're not a reliable partner there. But this is one area where it should be a no brainer. It should be so easy for us to do. In fact, it would actually generate income for the country. And Trudeau dithers and just can't get it done. So, uh, you know, I, I, listen, I don't need to criticize Trudeau. I think the, the entire country is pretty much tired of Justin Trudeau. But as conservatives, it behooves us to make sure that we put something on offer in this leadership race and put together respectable, reasonable policies that will, will, will win over Canadians in places like B.C., in places like the GTA of, of Toronto, because Canadians are tired of Justin Trudeau, but they, they have to have something in, in the conservative part that they trust. Star guest is joining us from Huntsville, Ontario, on Lake of Bays. He's the former mayor of the city of Huntsville and is currently the member of parliament for Parry Sound, Muskoka, Ontario. Scott Aitchison is also running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. And Scott, one of the uh, votescott.ca friends, if you want to find out more about Mr. Aitchison and what he stands for, vote Scott. One word, dot .ca. And Scott, at that website, you talk about ending supply management. Uh, our good friend, uh, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois at uh, the uh, Agri-Food School in uh, Dalhousie University, uh, also a very strong proponent of ending the dairy cartel. And, uh, well, getting prices down a little bit in these days of high inflation. What's your rationale, Scott, for ending supply management? Well, this, this is about affordability more than anything else. This is this is one of those uh, one of those areas where I know that we can do better, not just for consumers, but also for farmers. You know, farmers have done, I think, well in a, in a broken system for over 50 years. But this is an opportunity for us to create more competition in the dairy industry, particularly make food cheaper for Canadian families who are struggling to make ends meet, mm-hmm. pay their bills. Everything's getting more expensive, but it's also an opportunity uh, for for the federal government to work collaboratively with with farmers, some of the best farmers in the world, I might add, dairy farmers in this country, and help them create new markets around the world. Every trade agreement we negotiate, a little bit more of our supply management system gets chipped away at. I think it's time for us to start looking at this seriously, so that farmers don't get completely shut out, uh, and our and our and our trading partners uh, don't shut us out. Don't completely take this away without us having laid some groundwork and plans uh, so that so that our, our our world-class dairy farmers have markets around the world and we can make food cheaper for everyday folks that can't afford to buy milk and by way of looking at an example my goodness scott if little new zealand can pull it off quite successfully and really turn their entire dairy industry around imagine what we could do if we put our minds to it that country of five point whatever million people, they sold $17 billion worth of dairy products around the world last year in Canada and sold a few hundred million. Mm-hmm. We can do a lot. 
Absolutely, we can. Let's talk a little bit about the conservative leadership race, of which you are a part. Now, Scott is coming out to the the West Coast to uh, introduce himself in person to British Columbia Conservative Party members and prospective voters as well. Uh, Scott, you are one of the lesser known members of this leadership race. Uh, the the the, the high profile leaders, Mr. Poliev and Mr. Charest, uh, really quite uh, exaggerated with their editorials and op eds in the newspaper, taking dramatic positions uh, you you say that you're a unity guy talk to us about what that means to you and the future of the conservative party well in those dramatic positions are dramatic positions and that they're taking positions against each other and that's part of our problem i think that you know the conservative party and our conservative movement needs to be united and that that, that doesn't mean uniformity it doesn't mean we all agree on everything right but it means that we respect each other. We listen to each other. I, you know, I think there are factions within our caucus even right now. I don't agree with the way all of my colleagues vote, and they don't agree with me. But I guarantee you they all respect me because I listen to everybody and I, I engage with everybody. And to me, that's what leadership actually is. The leader of the Conservative Party of Canada uh, or the leader of any political party, the, the leader of a municipal council. When I was mayor, I engaged and I empowered my council to be a part of something bigger than just themselves. That's what's missing in Ottawa. There are too many people in leadership positions that don't know the first thing about leadership. When you have a caucus of 120 members, you need to be talking to them regularly. You need to be bringing them in. You need to be involving them in the process of, you know, deciding what policies we're going to run on, what approaches we're going to take on, on issues as they come up. But more than anything, you got to make sure that you're engaging and empowering them and making them, making them part of, something bigger than themselves that doesn't happen in ottawa it's what's missing and i'll tell you it's how you make sure you have a united group not one that agrees on everything but a group where the leader always works hard to make sure that we find the common ground those issues that do unite us and and put forward a a united uh cohesive group that that canadians will trust and until we can do that until we can put forward a a a reasonable message and, and show that we are united as a, as a conservative caucus and a movement, there's no reason Canadians who don't traditionally vote for us will ever vote for us. We have to come together. And I'll tell you, I've been, I've been embarrassed by the, by the behavior of, of some of the campaigns uh, in this leadership race. It's precisely what Canadians are sick of. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the partisan rhetoric, the nastiness, the name-calling. Name name-calling. Yeah. Can you imagine a bunch of adults calling each other names? Canadians are sick to death of it. And so I think they're ready for a little bit of small town mayor who understands that being in public life is about solving problems and and getting things done for the people you represent, not about our own egos. And so that's why I put myself forward to bring respect back to our politics, unite our caucus, unite our movement and unite our country. The politics of dividing Canadians east versus west or urban versus rural, that's, that's the liberal playbook. And, and they use it effectively. We need a leader of the Conservative Party that will that will call Canadians together. That will call Canadians together. All those things that unite us versus all those things that divide us. Yeah, Scott, I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask you about party discipline because you've been talking about this over the last couple of minutes now. In, in without using the phrase discipline, uh, and yet you have uh, you, you have a need for uh, leadership. The Harper leadership, for example, very rigid party discipline was imposed, and yet we here we have the Canadian parliamentary model, which is of all the Westminster parliaments around the world, the most or the least uh, 
uh, one that places the least emphasis on the individual MP. An MP in Canada is someone who does what they're told by the party whip or the party leader, period. They don't get much chance to get out there and represent the people that actually gave them their job in the first place. So how do you how do you square that circle, Scott? You want more autonomy for individual MPs to allow them to be more effective, and yet you need the leadership and discipline of running a party so you can effectively pass legislation. Well, listen, I, this is this is this is what it comes down to. This is this is leadership. It, it it might take a little more work to build the support you need for the positions that you want to take, but 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 that's how you build unity. That's how you build uh, support for good policy. It's how you make sure that 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 you know members of caucus are people that have gotten themselves elected to the house of commons that's right. an impressive thing mm-hmm. they should be like adults not like children and if i have to work hard to earn a few more votes uh, of of members of the house of commons be they conservative or or another party then that's good for democracy that's good for public policy when i was mayor uh, i never lost any votes because i always made sure that any policy ideas i was putting forward I talked to members of, of council ahead of time, and oftentimes they would suggest improvements to make the policy better before it ever came to a vote. That's how you engage and empower. That's what I would do. And I think we need to have more free votes, as an example, in the House of Commons, because we need to treat those representatives of the people with respect. That's about treating not just those individuals who hold that seat with respect. It's about treating the people they represent with respect as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, final question to you, Scott, and it's great to have you on the show and to give you a bit of a preview, or at least give BC folks a preview of what to, what to expect when they finally have a chance to shake your hand. And, and I am expecting a, a number of uh, meetings and so on will be announced in the few days and posted at votescott.ca. Uh, given the opportunity, uh, and again, with the ranked ballot system, where do you place your chances uh, several months out with the, with this controversy still bubbling beneath the surface and a lot of negativity flying around. Well, well, I, listen. You, this is this is about uh, about spreading an important message of unity, of hope, uh, of presenting you know clear policy ideas as opposed to you know mudslinging. Yeah, I, I'm doing this for the right reasons, and I think it's uh, resonating well with Canadians, resonating well with conservatives. You mentioned me being one of the lesser-known candidates. I'll tell you, three months ago, I was the completely unknown candidate. All right, so fair ball. The, the message is getting out there. More and more conservatives are saying, I really like what you're doing. Uh, I, I have a lot of colleagues in Ottawa, even caucus members that have endorsed other candidates that come up to me and say, I'm really proud of what you're doing. I'm really impressed. Thank you for being the adult in the room. So, I, I listen, I think that my chances are great, uh, and, they're, and, they, and they improve every day. The more I talk to more Canadians and more conservatives, uh, they improve every day. So I'm just going to keep on going and make sure that uh, I demonstrate that you can you can lead with respect uh, and with a message, a positive message of hope uh, and and consistent principled conservative policy. Scott Aitchison, on this Canada Day weekend, sir, we are grateful for some of your time uh, from Lake of Bays and the city of Huntsville. I've caught a few fish in my lifetime in Lake of Bays, by the way. I had an uncle with a cottage just outside of town there, so I know your area of the world pretty well. We appreciate your time, Scott. Thanks so much, and hopefully we'll have a chance to say hi when you're here on the West Coast. We'll make sure of it. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.